What's going on? My name's Hartzell. Happy Hump Day, baby. Got some audio issues going on. I got your emails. Thank you. Thank you. The one time y'all want to email me is when, when something don't work. That's amazing. I got to go buy some cords, it looks like. So on your KC Morning Show today, let me keep this intro short and sweet. You got a sports thing with Benny Heiss, betsided.com's Benny Heiss, joined also by Henry Martin. He is a black progressive veteran. He's running for Congress, U.S. House of Representatives in the Missouri 6. So, my friends, that's all I got. A good day to be a Kansas City, and yeah, always, you know this. Kitty's out shopping. Yeah, she couldn't do the show because she's she's shopping. That's my girl. My name's Hartzell. We'll see ya in the morning. Benny Heiss and Henry Martin. Up next. Bye. Finally, The Rock has come back to Kansas City. Let's do a sports thing. He is our manager in chief over at betsided.com, part of the Fan Sided Network. Also, you heard one of the voices on Bet and Breakfast, which we uh, aired a little special KCMS Bet and Breakfast special on Monday, Benny Heist. It was awesome, by the way. Benny Heistler, my brother, welcome back to your show. Welcome back to the couch. There's a great line by, by one of the biggest Bears, like terrible coaches, Mark Tressman, where he's like, you know, it's it's not my show but I'm on that show, which was like a, a coach's show that he used to do. And it was a lot of gobbledygook out of him. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that we, whether it's your show or my show or our show or whatever, we collectively call it. I, I am grateful to be on it. And also salute to you, my guy. Uh, really appreciate you you taking the time to, to share the work that we're doing over uh, on the Bet and Breakfast podcast with uh, the rest of these amazing listeners. We've gotten some responses. I know that you have as well. Um, it's been fun, and I think especially knowing that the Chiefs are a big part of our conversation, uh, hopefully not just for this week, but uh, the next few weeks as well. Uh, I'm very excited that uh, we're able to share some of that, especially for anybody that's you know, curious to dive into the betting space and the betting world and uh, maybe bet a little bit on the Chiefs, or maybe you're one of those people that likes to, to emo bet and bet against the Chiefs, knowing that uh, if you mush them, but they win, then everybody wins. Everybody's got their own system, Hartzell. We're all winners. We're all winners when we're betting <laughs> with right. Benny Heist and BetSided.com. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing, thing. As, as, uh, as the hot dog likes to say. Oh, art's so great. It's a beautiful thing. I think we're going to probably talk Chiefs later in the week, right? That, that seems to make more sense. But I don't know, man. And, and maybe you can help me figure this out. I don't know why I was actually interested, maybe even captivated by the whole Baseball Hall of Fame news. The Baseball Hall of Fame voters elected only one player for this year's class, but perhaps most notable are some of the players who did not receive that call. One of them is Barry Bonds, arguably the most gifted player in the last half century. Now, Bonds is the all-time leader in career home runs with 762, the record holder with seven most valuable player awards, the career leader in walks and single-season homers, and he's the only player with 500 home runs and 500 stolen bases, but the 14-time All-Star admitted in court that he'd taken performance-enhancing drugs starting in 1999. Why'd I give a damn about Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds getting snubbed? I guess maybe it's nostalgia. What's happening to me? No, I, I, I don't think you're alone because, I mean, I, my stance has changed on the Hall of Fame as well. I used to be an advocate of why would you reward you know, cheaters or, or people that had been associated with something that had been cheating the game uh, throughout their career? Why would you reward them this prestigious honor? But 
I, baseball in particular is just so sanctimonious with the Hall of Fame and you know, the process in which people get voted in and it has to be you know, 75% of the vote and how I, I, I should take that back. I, I think there is something positive about how a guy can go from 30% of the votes in his first year to getting in the Hall of Fame by like his sixth or seventh year because more information has come along. I think that's a good part of it. But it's also kind of funny to me that like, dude, this the guy still hasn't played in a long time. And six years later, all of a sudden he's a Hall of Famer when you know just three, four years ago he was nowhere close. It's not as if he added and, and padded his stats a little bit. But I, I think the reason that you care is that the idea of this baseball Hall of Fame being like worthwhile, like you're telling me that you can tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds? I don't think you can or Roger Clemens or, or Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa that all these guys would have been shoo-ins for the hall of fame, if not for their connection to performance enhancing drugs. And some of them fully admitted it. Some didn't. Some people tried to skirt around it for a long time. The reality is once baseball came back in the late 1990s with the, the home run race between McGuire and Sosa, I mean, you can make an argument that the guys that use steroids saved baseball. And Bud Selig, who was the commissioner of Major League Baseball at the time, oversaw the whole thing and tried to deny it as much as he could. But the reality was is that he knew what was going on. He wasn't a dummy. He knew that this was going to help save the sport and bankroll a lot of these different owners. And as the commissioner of the sport, that's where that money was going. He was a former owner. So it's just all very sanctimonious that the writers just believe that they can go ahead and keep the, the true people that were that tell the story of the game out of the Hall of Fame. If, if the Hall of Fame's purpose is to be a museum and history taker for the game of baseball, you can't tell the story without some of the greatest players of all time. So I, I'm just fed up with it. And, and, I, and I wonder too, Hartzell, you said like, you know, a couple of years ago, you're like, that's oh, not a big deal. The, the finality of it, and there, there'll be another you know opportunity for these guys to be voted in by a different committee, but it's just, it's weird that we're finally already at this point where we all remember it, and we all remember how we felt about watching Barry Bonds play, and Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire, and Roger Clements. Like, those feelings are still, feel very fresh, I think, to us, and now that there's sort of the sense of finality to it, I think we're left feeling like, okay, they waited around. Like if you wanted to mess with them for a little bit, that's fine, but they deserve to be in because you know that there are plenty of guys currently in the hall of fame that were probably using performance enhancing drugs at some point. You can't police the sport for everybody. And that was just a part of baseball's era during that time. We were just clutching pearls, weren't we, man? And I think what maybe sent me back thinking about this whole era and how much I loved this era, you know, I saw that tweet yesterday from Patrick Mahomes when he was responding to Barry Bonds not making it in. And he said, I think it was just SMH. He was shaking his head. He doesn't care. And I guess maybe for me, it just put that in perspective. It's like, hold on, hold on. Why was I so high and mighty? Like you said, that may have saved the game of baseball in America. Well, if I, if I can make like a, a weird sort of connection to football with this, and, and maybe this is, is off base a little bit, but you know, I, I think of everybody that plays football in, in sort of a, a they're, I mean, you're kind of doing performance enhancing drugs a little bit. You're taking the short term gain of playing, you know, one of the most dangerous sports you could possibly play for the opportunity to have uh, substantial financial independence and, 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 and noteworthy generational wealth 
while also putting your body and your brain at risk. Like, I, I would think that, that anybody who plays football would probably have an understanding as to why these athletes used it. And some of them were just because they could play 162 games a year, or others were because they were trying to, you know, create generational wealth for their family. I, as long as the players, and, and again, maybe this is certainly a minority perspective, but I'm a firm believer that if you know what you're taking, as long as, as baseball or football tells you the risks and is open and transparent, transparent about those risks, then there's kind of a part of me that says you're, you're on your own. And if that's what you're willing to risk, um, then, then so be it. And you know, maybe football is different from baseball from, from that standpoint. And you know, how you define cheating can be up to a lot of different interpretations. But I mean, there's plenty of guys that know that as long as they get that one guaranteed contract, they will do whatever means necessary. They're coming from a family that doesn't have much. They're trying to create opportunity long term. Like, I, I get it. And, you know, from an entertainment standpoint, I don't want football to change. I don't want football to become a less violent sport. I know what football in is in and of its core. And I know that if baseball is throwing 100 mile per hour fastballs and guys are hitting 500 feet into the stands, that's that's entertaining. As long as they know the risks that they are putting and subjecting themselves into before signing up. If that's hidden, that's a completely different story, then it's not fair. Well, I also think, too, like what is too much of a competitive advantage, right? Like the baseball thing, was it a couple seasons ago with that stuff they were putting on? And, yeah. you know, like what is too far? What is that line, especially when you have something where it's so many gentlemen's agreements and all that nonsense? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, you know, Pete Rose keeps coming up with, with more states um, you know, betting, uh, allowing sports betting to come out. And obviously there's a direct correlation to the work that we do over at BetSide. And that's a part of, you know, why this industry is growing. I mean, I still think you're, there's a rational argument to keep him out of the Hall of Fame because he was betting on baseball games, regardless of, of whether it was his team or not. There's still just too many outside factors there. So I, I get the decision to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Like, that's a specific rule. He broke that specific rule. With the steroid era, yes, like, if you tested positive, there were ramifications, but they didn't really – it was the Wild West of that time. Now baseball has strict regulations. If you test positive, you test positive, and you can try to appeal as best you can. But there's, there's something that's much more concrete about it that, you know, I understand now why you would take somebody that actually tested positive – off of your Hall of Fame ballot. But for many of these guys, it was just speculation. Benny Heiss, what y'all working on over at BetSided.com, brother? Well, we're getting ready for a really good weekend of football. Obviously, the Chiefs and the Bengals are going to be front and center. A lot of really good stats that we've been able to, to pull. Uh, the fact that overs, I think, are hitting at 75% the AFC Championship game. Uh, that Pat Mahomes is 8-0 in his playoff career against every starting quarterback that's not named Tom Brady. He's 0-2 against the GOAT. Uh, it, just like fun little things that I, I think a lot of people who are looking to bet this game, uh, looking to bet on 49ers and Rams. Uh, you know, The 49ers have beaten L.A six consecutive times, seven out of 10 times between Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay. Like all these different things that you're going to want to consider before you make a bet this weekend. We've got you covered. Plus, ton of college basketball, ton of NBA, NHL. Uh, our guy Donovan Smoot is crushing it when it comes to Australian Open coverage. So if you can bet it, 
We've got it, and we've got plenty over at Betsided. We're going to talk Chiefs on Friday, but right now, Let's do it. what a nice way to go down that, that Benny Baseball nostalgic lane, man. That was nice. I like that. Little little Benny Baseball on a Wednesday. What, what could be better? That creed, a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. The KC Morning Show. My friends, on your KC Morning Show for the first time, he is Henry Martin running for the Missouri 6, the U.S. Congress, my friends, part of Kansas City and what's that, the upper third? Henry, I'm going to have to have you explain <laughs> where your district's at, my friend. Well, the 6th district uh, consists of 36 counties. Uh, it goes from all the way uh, from as far south as uh, Blue Springs, all the way as far north as the Iowa border, from the east uh, on the Mississippi, all the way to the west onto the Missouri. So in this craziness that we are living in, we've got a pandemic, we've got just life. We've had a racial reckoning within the last 24 months, or maybe we're still in the midst of that racial reckoning. We've got folks who don't know where they're going to be sleeping, kids who are trying to get back to class, but are the classes ready to have kids back? What I'm trying to say, sir, is why are you trying to get involved with all this right now? <laughs> well, because we need uh, we need people who are looking to go into public service to actually serve, serve the public and not serve themselves. We're looking for people willing to go into public service and talk about those very issues and not talk about those hot button cultural issues that tend to just piss people off and people vote because they're angry. And uh, I don't know about you, but the last time I was angry, I don't know if made very good decisions when I was angry. So uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to focus this campaign and focus uh, people I talk to on the issues that are relevant, that will make a difference in people's lives. You know, we, we talk about people who were essential workers during this pandemic. But the irony of calling them essential workers is that we, while we said they were essential, uh, many of them can't afford housing on the, on the salaries that they make. Federal minimum wage hasn't risen since 2010. It's things like that that uh, policymakers need to be talking about, how to make those things happen to help people. Basically, in the United States, we've done enough protection of wealth. It's time to start protecting people with our government. As we get a chance to know each other, my friend, you know, what is your, your background, your ideology? I'm, you know, you're, you're a veteran, you know, an, an educator. Tell us mm -hmm. all about you, sir. I am a U.S. Army vet. Uh, I was in Germany when the Berlin Wall came down. I was in uh, the first Gulf War since leaving service. I got my degree and I've been an educator for the past 22 years. In that time, I've been a classroom teacher, a building administrator, a football coach, a wrestling coach, a football official, wrestling official. So I've, I've kind of I've done a lot in the, the public service realm uh, to, to apply my skills because, well, sometimes people are one inspirational teacher away from being successful. Um, I, I still remember each of the teachers that made a difference in my life, and I just hope that I've made the difference in uh, at least one student's life. My first act of political activism was I wrote a letter to President George W. Bush when No Child Left Behind passed because the way that it was written uh, within uh, a number of years, it was going to have the majority of school districts in failing status. That has since been changed. I got into sixth district politics. Well, on the words of President Obama as he was leaving office, he challenged us all. He said, hey, you know, if you don't like the way things are going, get out, work for an organization that, that inspires you, that's doing things that you can believe in. Start an organization that people can believe in. Get out, work for a campaign, or run your own campaign. So 
uh, here I am. My campaign is based on three primary issues that I, I think will hit home for the majority of Americans. One of them is healthcare, because no American family deserves to go broke from the onset of a major illness or injury, uh, and every person deserves access to care. Justice, because equal justice under the law, it can no longer just be words we say, it has to be words with actions. We, we have a responsibility to see to it that equal justice is carried out. People need to be held accountable regardless of their access to means or their access to power. Continuing with justice, we need environmental justice that does help preserve our planet for generations to come. People need clean drinking water. People need clean air. We need to make the, make the adjustments and policy decisions it's going to take to see to it that we have both clean air and clean water. Also with justice, for social justice. We need to right the wrongs of our present and our past, at least reconcile. We need to look at a restructuring of a judicial system so that we are not incarcerating people that need treatment, so that we're, we don't keep people caught up in a system of bail, fines, fees that is just basically basically promotes perpetual poverty. And the final pillar of this campaign is democracy. Over the last five years, we've seen our democracy tested to its limit. Our institutions did hold this time, but what are we going to do to make sure that not only do our institutions hold, but democracy will completely and totally prevail? And if we're really honest and we look at what's happening, we're, we're actually seeing, seeing our democracy continue to be challenged due to gerrymandering. And gerrymandering is an exercise in, in basically securing, um, well, the politicians are picking their voters, not the voters picking their politician. And it, it basically is a way to silence people's voice. I think that every seat, every seat should be competitive. Every seat that can be competitive should be because it forces people to get out and campaign. There's no incentive for a, a person who has a safe seat to campaign. There's no real reason because they know that they're going to get reelected. We got so much to break down, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to doing all of that. But I'm going to start back mm -hmm. to where you started. You wrote that letter to the Bush administration. I mean, there's got to be a ton of parents, a ton of educators who were just as mad, just as fired up as you were. But, you know, they didn't write that letter. So that means, at least for me as someone who's listening, there's, there's something with you. There's something in you. There's some kind of spark that... You know, you want to get that out. Have you been able, as you're now campaigning, as you are now getting to know more folks across the state and your district, have you figured out what that thing is? Because it's okay to say that maybe you got something that maybe other folks don't have. Well, the thing I need to get out is that I am that person that wants to fight to do the right thing. I'm not trying to impose my morality. I'm not trying to impose my view of the world on anybody. I just want to see to it that everybody gets their fair chance. And that's all. Everybody couldn't go down my path. And I recognize that. You know, once upon a time, I looked at, looked at my life and I looked at people as they, as they struggled. And I actually would stand and I would, I would judge in some way. And I think all of us are guilty of it at some point in our lives. Or, you know, some people do it every day. I would look at them and say, look, these are the obstacles I overcame. So why can't you just do? And sometimes it's just not that easy what we are enduring here in, in America, we, we need people who are willing to govern. We're not focusing on the things that are going to make our community stronger. We're not focusing on the things that will make our nation stronger. We're, we're focusing on things that basically divide us. And I'm not that guy. I'm here to cut a deal that's going to get everybody the best, the best representation possible and the best opportunity. And that's pretty much it. So who do we have right now occupying the seat well, right now, that is uh, uh, Sam Graves. 
and uh, just to show where he is, he voted no on a bipartisan infrastructure bill. He voted no on the CARES Act. And basically, it was a party line vote. For me, it's pretty simple. If a bill is good for the 6th Congressional District, it has a yes vote. If it's good for the state of Missouri, it has a yes vote. If it's good for the United States of America, it has a yes vote. Everything else is negotiable. I don't understand the the idea of being so very partisan that just because you know a bill is going to pass, you vote no symbolically so you can go out and raise money that you oppose the Democrats. What sense does that make? That, that doesn't make rational sense to rational people. And it, it's frustrating to me that it happens on both sides. I don't like it when either side does it, because that means that we're not there to govern. That means we're there running for office while we're in office. Basically, this campaign will end the day after the general election. And with my victory, I won't campaign again until 2024, when it's time to campaign. Other than that, my job is to govern. My job is to show up and to sit down and talk with people and find out how the resources that we secure in Washington are helping them here at home. I don't understand how that's how that's gotten to be so complicated. I'm on your website. You're someone that believes that healthcare is is a right, a human right. And education is once again a, a human right. I think we're all right now trying to figure out the branding of it all, but I know for a fact yep. that the state of Missouri, you know, it voted to expand Medicaid. You know, those are radical progressive ideas. So you can't tell me that progressive ideas don't work in your district because I know that they do. So how do you find that right message when you are actually going against someone and Sam Graves and that type of thought that supported an insurrection? I mean, that man tried to support an attempted coup. I mean, how do we fight that as we're trying to make actual change? And that's the dilemma. They will use buzzwords that basically agitate people. They will use words like socialism. They'll use words like communism. They'll use words like radical left and so on and so on and so on. The things that, that, they, that they call radical left and socialism, we already have socialism. We don't recognize it or people don't pay attention to it. There are people in this district who are on workman's comp, who are on social security. We're on various other social programs, but they don't recognize the fact that it's socialism on its face. The reason why healthcare is so difficult is because they scare people into believing that there's no way that we can administer a healthcare program that is good for everybody and allows you to keep your doctor and so on and so on and so on. I mean, I don't know very many people who are dissatisfied with Medicare and the treatment they get. You poll a lot of seniors, 65 and older, and they, you ask them about their treatment on Medicare, they'll be like, oh, I'm treated pretty doggone good. They have their own doctor. They don't have ration care and so on and so on and so on. There is a fear that is ginned up that, that, that creates this belief that there's going to be a scarcity if everybody has access. But here's the thing. Without everybody with access right now, with people who are uninsured, we all pay for it. All of us who all of us who are paying, our employers pay and so on and so forth. People who are uninsured, they still end up sick. They still end up going to the hospital. There's still a bill that has to be paid. The hospital is not going to eat that loss. The hospital is going to pass that loss on in an increase in charges to insurance companies. And the insurance companies are going to pass that increase on to you and me. So in essence, we're all paying for it anyway. So the thing is, why not get everybody with some skin in the game? The reason why people have a hard time with this is because we are going to have to implement a payroll tax. And we've got a package and we've got to talk about it like this. If you're paying $1,000 a month 
in insurance premiums, but you're only going to pay $750 a month in payroll tax. Which one is greater? I believe that a thousand is greater than seven fifty, and I'm using an arbitrary number here, so I don't want anybody to go quoting and saying, "Oh, he said it was going to cost seven hundred fifty dollars a month in tax." No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm using an arbitrary number as an example, and you know, if people just take a moment and say, "Okay, yeah, I could pay a payroll tax that is actually less than." what my insurance premium would be. And you get to keep your doctor. There's nothing that says we can't write a bill to allow people to keep their doctors and make their own choices. There's nothing that says we can't do that. You know, some of that I think is because we only talk about the top number of it all. I think that that 750, you know, again, random number, but it's not just what you're paying in the 750, it's what you're getting in that 750. Exactly, exactly. Because you'll, you'll pay 750, but guess what? Now you don't have a copay. Now you show up to the doctor and you say, hey, I'm sick. They actually see you, get you through everything you need to get through, and you're done. It becomes more and more complicated because there seems to be some benefit in scaring people. And there's no benefit in scaring the American people. We've got to stop looking at how things are going to look tomorrow and next week. And we've got to look at next year five years down the road, 10 years down the road. We have Medicare for all. We end up as a healthier nation because of it. I mean, where's the downside to that? We have people who get the care that they need. We have people that are able to able to go back to work. They don't lose everything they have because, you know, people don't have to take out GoFundMe pages to get the treatment for their child who has cancer or their mother who has cancer. They don't have to get that GoFundMe page because somebody was in a, in a terrible auto accident and they require 14 surgeries to recover. They don't get those astronomical healthcare bills because we are taking care of it as a nation together. Healthcare is something that people are going to need. As a, as a service veteran, in my mind, in my mind, I don't, I don't know how everybody else feels. There is, there is an unwritten promise that's made because we have an all-volunteer force now. 100% volunteer, there's no more conscription. In that sacrifice that our service members make, which by the way, my son is making, my nephew is making, I made, my father, my grandfather, I mean, you get the picture, we, we are a family of service. That sacrifice, we're saying, look here, we've got the fight. We're gonna defend the constitution. We're gonna defend our shores. We're gonna defend the people that are in our nation. We just want you, Congress and the president to take care of the people that we're defending and our ideals. We want you to do that job. That's the job you have. Find a way to take care of them. And that's an unwritten promise, but I believe it needs to be kept. A progressive vet in Missouri. How the hell did this happen? <laughs> Explain. <laughs> well, you know, you, you live a life and you're exposed to a lot. Uh, you have family issues, um, you lose a wife, you see students who have been abused, and so on and so on and so on. And you realize that people are more than the sum of their actions in this moment. We can't quit on people. There's more to every person than the last action you saw. And when we quit, we're just saying that there's nothing redeemable about this person. Now, I will say this. Once somebody has committed a felony, the felony of, of killing another person or 
rape or what, what have you. Those people are in a different echelon. I'm not talking about them at all. I am not talking about those violent felons that do things that are just heinous and atrocious. So I need people to understand that. But life kicks people in the teeth every now and then. I used to be that guy that would stand there and say, what is your problem? But now I say, okay, what is your problem? Oh, it's, it's a different what is your problem. So it's what can we do to fix what's going on with you? What help do you need? Because we can't just assume that everybody has all the tools they need to be successful. That was a major mistake I made early on as an educator, thinking that all kids could just come in and be successful. I didn't know that little Johnny just watched his mom get beat up by her boyfriend. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Sue hadn't had food since Friday when she left school. I didn't know that. So we are more than just the outcome or our last action. We are more than just that. In this moment, why now? As I heard that last answer, that was an answer that to me feels like I have to do this right now. So why is it? Why is that right now, right now? <clears throat> well, simply put, we need people who are, real, who are public servants, who are willing to serve and ready to serve. We can make a difference through the use of our government and the services it can provide. You show me a politician that tells you that government isn't working or government can't work. And I'll show you a politician that has no vested interest in making it work. Because what is my incentive? If I ran on government not working, if all of a sudden government works, then I'm no longer needed. I'm, I'm tired of partisans like Mr. Graves doing things that undermine democracy and or taking credit for the dollars and cents that come as a result of someone else passing a bill of substance. I'm meeting with the uh, Livingston County commissioners yesterday. I learned that they have more than 170 bridges in Livingston County, and the maintenance cost every year is about $40,000. In the time since Mr. Graves has been in office, a number of those bridges have fallen into ill repair. There is no excuse for not being able to find the dollars and cents to come back to Livingston County to maintain these bridges that they can use federal dollars to maintain. Every time the federal government cuts taxes, they have to cut services somewhere or they have to cut back on the block grants that are given to states. And states then have to make decisions about what to do. We put off maintaining these bridges. We put off all this stuff. Ultimately, it can lead to catastrophic failure that, what was it, 95 East Bridge in, in Minneapolis that collapsed years and years ago. We don't want to have to learn those lessons. I understand people want low taxes because we're, we're taught as young kids that taxes are bad somehow. But every tax isn't a bad tax. And so the right now is, simply put, that we need people who want to work for all the people, not just the people who believe in them with them ideologically. I don't need, I don't need people to believe with me 100%. I just need you to understand that our goal in governance is to get uh, the best deal for everybody. And that's, that's, that's where I am with this. And that's why, man, because we can't wait any longer. Henry Martin, he is running for the U.S. House of Representatives in the Missouri 6th. My friend, where can folks go to get more information? Your website, handles, plug away. My website is henrymartinforcongress.com. 
can follow us on Twitter at HM for Congress, Facebook at Henry Martin for Congress. And that's pretty much where we are. We do have an Instagram that we're working on, and uh, we have a TikTok that we're working on. But uh, I'm a middle-aged guy, and I don't do all all that stuff. (laughs) Henry, I'm just saying, I can see you on a TikTok. I'm just saying that might be what the folks want to (laughs) see. <laughs> well, my campaign manager has we've been talking about that and so we we're, we're working on that. I'm just not quite there yet. He's, he's there, but I'm not. <laughs> You'll get there. Like I said, the first of what I hope will be many more conversations, sir. Love to just drop us a line and let us know when and uh, we'll, we'll uh, make the time. Thank you, sir, for what you're doing and and good luck. Thank you very much, Arthur. We appreciate the time. I was In a little tent mm-hmm. Like the river I've been running mm-hmm. Running ever since It's been a long Long time coming But I know Change don't come